ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. It is Monday morning, so we are back with the latest episode of 1% Better. And I know this is a really bad dad joke, but the Colts were not 1% better. On yesterday, they were a lot worse. And they went down 31-24 to the... (laughs) to the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders. So, I don't know. I know you you got a lot of thoughts this morning as a a Colts fan, and I get it. And those thoughts are probably all warranted. Uh, But let's start really macro here, Zach. Um, A lot happened yesterday. Uh, None of it good for the most part. But uh, is the sky falling? Where do you stand? How should people sort of view this? It's not a. It's certainly not a good development. Right. But where do they stand right now? I mean, you you kind of regrouped. You kind of sort of broke this down. I think in your story that, uh, this morning. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the sky's not falling. They were awful yesterday. There's a lot of concerns I have about this team, especially going into where they're going into next week. Arrowhead against the reigning MVP. The defense is is not good right now. There's no other way to cut it. But look, they are missing three of their top six best players. I know that's an excuse, and I'm fine to make the excuse. I don't I don't work for the team. I don't play for the team. This team is not going to be the same without Darius Leonard, without Malik Hooker, and especially without T.Y. Hilton. The offense was never in sync yesterday. It looked like it was missing something, right? That third down threat, the guy that gets all the attention from the defense, it's because they were. And I was a little surprised to look up this stat, but we talked about this later. T.Y. Hilton has played eight years in this league now, and he's missed five games total. That speaks a lot to how much he's played through. This guy's had a lot of injuries. They've lost all five of those games. That is very telling. He is the offensive threat that is absolutely irreplaceable on this team. That's just how it is. Um, And without Andrew Luck, without a star MVP-type caliber quarterback, they do not have the pieces with these guys out to play that good of football. They didn't. And, and, and I'm not excusing the Colts because the effort wasn't very good yesterday and the fundamental football was awful. And we'll get into your story as well because I thought that was a good angle. The Colts lost their identity in the trenches yesterday. And it's really concerning on the defensive line. And it's, it's really inexcusable on the offensive line for them to play that badly and lose that much up front. That's who they are. That's who they become. And they weren't that yesterday. But look, I mean, on the list of irreplaceable Colts, Leonard and Hooker are your top two on defense, and Hilton is number one on the offense, removing the quarterback from the equation because that position is so important. So this team's not going to be close to itself without those three game-changing guys out there. Um, And this was a worst-case scenario, right? I think we talked later last night, like, look, this is as bad as they can play. And they had a chance to tie the game late in the fourth quarter, which is a little encouraging. They did some things good yesterday. They fought back. They finally got some third down stops, which seems like it hasn't happened in three weeks. But um, let's just hope, if you're rooting for the Indianapolis Colts this year, that that's the Jets game from last year. That's a one-off. That's one really awful Sunday of football that's very uncharacteristic. Because if this becomes a a, a routine, if this becomes the norm, then this is going to be a lost season. I don't think it is. I really don't think the sky is falling. I think they need to get 53 back and they need to get 13 back really, really quickly. Yeah, I think there are – this is something we've seen from the Colts really I think over a period of years is these games where they just kind of fall apart 
And this now has has been something we've seen across two different coaching staffs. So it's not correct. It's not a Chuck Pagano thing necessarily. It's not a Frank Reich thing. Uh, I think it's an NFL thing. <laughs> honestly, I think it happens. It happens Even to teams that are not great days. teams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens. Yeah, and 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 I know that's you know you, you when you are when it's fresh and fans are emotional, you want to hear. Well, they suck. Maybe they do suck. I don't know. But it's entirely possible. I accept that that is on the table, okay? However, we're four games in, and I think they've shown us some things that they do well, and then they've shown us some things they don't do so well. Uh, yesterday, they were not in character, completely out of character. So They're not going to be the same defense with Okariki in, in Leonard's spot. They're not going to be the same defense with Kari Willis back there instead of 29, Malik Hooker. They're not going to be the same offense with Chester Rogers out there instead of T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I mean, I think it changes the way you can play on both offense and defense, and it does hamstring the play callers on both sides. I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, look, you still gotta you still gotta go out there and put together an effort because this is the NFL, and everybody's right. getting a paycheck at the end of the at the end of the week. So I don't necessarily think anybody should get let off the hook. You know, whether it be Chester Rogers dropping that ball on the slant or whoever, but certainly not Eric Ebron, who's making decent money and it was a you know, right. one of the centerpieces of their free agent class last year right so nobody's getting any slack nobody's making any excuses for anybody we're just trying to tell you here that the the bottom line is you're going to have mistakes whether you can weather them boils down to whether you have enough talent on the field to overcome it and they didn't have that last yesterday they couldn't afford the mistakes they made the mistakes they lost this is not a hard equation for me and what i'd say is Despite all of that, I think they still had a chance to to really, I think, change the the sort of uh, feel of this game had they, as you said, kind of stay true to who they were. They were not. And what I mean by that is what they did up front on both sides of the ball. And this was my column today. The Colts on offense and defense got beat badly at the line of scrimmage and that cannot happen because it's not something they've done. They've been a pretty good team. Certainly the offensive line has been elite. Okay, over the past year, the defensive line last year was a top 10 defensive unit against the run. We have not seen that this year. I don't know what has happened, but we are not seeing the same sort of effort up front on defense. And I think they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and and change some things. I don't know what that would be. But even with the addition of Justin Houston, they have taken a huge step backwards against the run. And that, to me isn't coaching that's performance really and and we can we can get into coaching we'll do that in a second but but there's a performance issue right now up front and no less an authority than quentin nelson said to me this is on the offensive line he's wrong it's on the defensive line too but his point is fair and they didn't get it done where were the running lanes for marlon mack i mean at the end of the day yeah if the colts can't establish the run and sort of establish that demeanor that they play with what is the outcome uh, Zach, for Jacoby Brissett and for the passing game and the play calling. I mean, right. what's the trickle down effect? Do you think? And right. do, do you did you see that in rewatching the game this morning? I did, and, and and I had the same kind of conversation with Ryan Kelly that you did with Quentin Nelson. He said, "Look, this is how we beat them last year. We wanted to establish the run. This is, you know, the last year of the game in Oakland was one of those games that catapulted them for the second half of the season, where they really shifted their identity and they got on the ground, they got back to the basics, and they put up forty two points on the Raiders." This, you know, you dig yourself a 14-point hole, you get away from the run, and you never really recover. Um, 
Let's go back to the defensive line for a minute because this is concerning because they don't have any major injuries. Jabal Sheard's back. He played yesterday. There's no there's no Darius Leonard missing from the defensive line or anything like that. Marcus Hunt hasn't done anything this season. Yeah. He has not made one play. Danico Autry flashed and looked tremendous in Tennessee. Other than that, he's been a little disappointing. I had really high hopes for him. I thought he dominated in camp. I thought he was one of the best players I saw in camp. And he was at that time. And he's not doing it on the field right now. And this unit as a whole, the pass rush is a concern because they're not getting home. Justin Houston, you know, he didn't even want to talk to me yesterday after the game. But he did say, I have to watch the tape. But I know for one thing, I didn't get my job done. I didn't get to the quarterback. He's been a little disappointing four games in. They're not getting to the quarterback. Part of that is Derek Carr and Matt Ryan. They get these balls out fast. I get that. But even Frank Reich, who never criticizes his defense, said yesterday, the defensive line, you know, the run game, stopping the run. He said that's that's what's most disappointing right now, that we're not doing that. That's what they did last year, and that helped the secondary, obviously. But this defense is concerning to me right now. They're giving up way too many big plays. They're not stopping the run. They're not making good tackles. They've got poor technique. They're not getting off their blocks. They're taking really bad angles. I mean, it's it, like one player told me yesterday, we sucked. Like, just write that down. We sucked. That's the only way to describe it. Um, and and that's inexcusable for that to happen because you've got a Raiders team in here that you should beat. And they didn't. And they, and they have no one to blame but, theirself, but themselves for that. Um, probably one of the worst defensive efforts of the Frank Reich era. And you've seen flickers of it the first couple of weeks. And that's why it's so concerning because you're going into Arrowhead on Sunday. And if you're bringing that kind of effort into Arrowhead, Mahomes is going to drop 50 on you. Yeah. And as it relates to the running game, the run defense, I should say, the Colts have, I believe they're 31st in rushing yards allowed per, or per, per carry, excuse me, right now. They're certainly one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL right now. And so let me put that in context, okay? Because everything you heard from us and others in the preseason, you know, when we're just prognosticating, of course, look, you know, don't hold me to it, okay? (laughs) But the fact is you will, and that's fine. But the point is every projection we made about this team was based upon what we knew from last year and the personnel and, and what they did last season. And then what they had put together for the 2019 season. And based upon that, we saw a team that last season, number one, no 100-yard rusher the entire season, despite playing all of the top running backs in the NFL last season. Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, you name it. None of those guys, 100-yard game. And beyond that, just generally, they were very good run defense. Top 10 in the NFL last season. So that's one thing. Number two, they add, as you said, Justin Houston to a unit where we thought they had at least enough to at least sort of generate some pass rush. Uh, they're, they were not seen as That's a, why they signed him. Yeah. Literally, I mean, there's no other reason. <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, if Justin Houston doesn't get to the quarterback, Justin Houston has not done his job because that's the only reason he's here. Look, they paid him almost $13 million. I'm not complaining about that. That was money well spent, in my opinion. But not if you don't get a return on it. And so, look, it is what it is. You can't play this way. And then cry about what's happening on the back end and talk about Rocky Sin getting beat and Quincy Wilson yeah, getting beat. And talk they about are, disappointing. But right? let's be honest. Every week. What the hell do you expect? <laughs> I mean, you can't right? play football like this. This is the NFL. Everybody, everybody's, everybody's culpable. Every phase. Every, all three phases of the defense. It all works together. We, we say that they all had, the time here. The, tell me if this stat surprises you. They had four sacks in L.A. 
remember Kamoko Trey went crazy. Yeah. Houston had one. Bandigo had one on the first third down of the season. That looked very so promising. Looked Four sacks in Tennessee. Eight sacks in the first two games. Autry had a big day in Tennessee. They've had one sack the last two weeks. And I get it. There is something to be said for the quarterbacks getting the ball out quickly. But that's not going to win. That's not winning football in this league. And Mahomes is not going to make it easier. And Watson in a couple weeks. They need to get to the quarterback. That is fundamental defense. I know Chris Ballard is livid today because they're not getting to the quarterback because that's what he lives for, right? He lives for those eight, nine guys in the defensive rotation up on that line. That unit's not getting it done. And when you couple that with the offensive line having a bad day, your story was dead on. I mean, it's very simple. It's not, It's not. you know, they made their mistakes, sure. They also made some good plays, but it was simple football yesterday that they got beat at. And they got beat by the Raiders. And that's what's most disconcerting because when they have a bad day, the Colts proved yesterday they can lose to anybody. Hopefully they can't lose to the Dolphins, but you never know. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is the if you remember when Frank Reich took this job back in February of 2018, the one thing he talked about in his opening press conference, and I get that every coach in the history of football has said this, but, <laughs> right. but listen, he put it out there, so we're going to hold him to it. The one thing he said is, look, uh, you know he's an offensive guy and all that, but the one thing he said is we want to be a tough football team. We want to be a team that wins up front, and and he really I think walked the walk, and that's the thing. It wasn't now everybody says it, but he has walked that walk, and and you see. I mean, their the first emphasis. pick was a left guard. Like right. yeah, like they really have invested on those areas and right. So, so I don't think it was just sort of you know telling the room what it, what everybody wanted to hear, and as a lot of people do in this game, but they've walked that walk. But now. When you have a performance like this, you have to you have to fix it, and you have to understand. You have to take it with the gravity it deserves. Because if you if you build your team upon these principles, then you cannot have breakdowns in these areas. I mean, just think about this. What if the what if you get the Raiders in more difficult down and distance situations? Then it's a totally different deal, right? I mean, well, that's they, that's an idea. Maybe they should take think, that up. Think once about in a while. that. Although, how of about course, third and long as opposed to third and two? You know, of course, Matt. There Ryan, was a point yesterday where they. <laughs> They had allowed 11 consecutive third down conversions, and that goes back to the Atlanta game. I mean, it just felt like it was a broken record. Just third down, they they ring that bell at Lucas Oil Stadium, and I and I turned to you and I said, "Oh, that just means the third down conversion is coming." And that's what it <laughs> felt like. There was such a loss of momentum for that defense yesterday, and they played better at the end. But they did get off the field off the hook in the second half. Yeah. They they did get off yeah. the field, but the problem is you spotted them a 14 nothing lead, and you couldn't generate an offense. So, right, that's what you have. Uh, so look, this goes beyond just what's happening up front. Um, we have, uh, I think, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about uh, the completions, and and it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like Derek Carr completed like ninety percent of his throws. I don't want to, you know, leave this. Uh, I don't want to give people a false impression. I mean, it wasn't like that. Uh, he still had some difficulties at times. Uh, I want to look at his numbers here. He was uh, twenty-one of thirty-one. So I mean, a good day. Uh, threw for 189 yards, but I think it was more about the number one. Sometimes it's the timing. Sometimes it's those third down plays, and then other times uh, there were just plays where there wasn't a lot of resistance on the back end. Um, I think about the touchdown uh, that Quincy Wilson allowed. I think in that particular situation, he's actually in decent position, but you got the technique is terrible. You got to find the football man, and so Rocky Asin has had some of those as well. The one thing I want to talk about. 
and I saw a lot of this on, on Twitter for what it's worth. I don't know that Twitter represents all of you, but uh, but I think it's a question that's out there. People are talking a lot about the coverages and playing too soft and zones. And look, I know what their base defense is. We all know it. they play sort of a uh, cover two like zone. We You know all about that. We've written a lot about that. However, the one thing I'll say just in a quick rewatching of it. Uh, this morning, got home late last night and tried to kind of take a look at some of what happened yesterday. There is a lot more man coverage than you think. Uh, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. they're playing primarily man coverage. That is not true. But they are playing some man coverage. And the fact of the matter is they got to win those one-on-ones and the receivers are winning them. The receivers are winning them. Rock's gotten beat a lot early on. And that's going to happen at that position. Quincy's been beat a lot early on. Oh, one, one thing to consider get, too, P- Pierre Desir, quarterback. Yeah, Pierre right. Desir is is not one hundred percent, so he only played about half the snaps yesterday. So I want to be clear about yeah. that too. That's another variable here too. So th- that's another injury we have not talked about, but they sort of they sort of gave him sort of his training wheels yesterday and didn't have him out there for sixty snaps. So so there's more of a strain on those young defensive backs, as you were saying. Sorry, but um, but go ahead, continue, continue. Yeah, no, I just, I just. Okay, so let's move ahead. You've got the biggest test, <laughs> at least offensively, you're going to see in the entire season coming up. The team that kicked you out of the playoffs last year, the quarterback that's, you know, um, ridiculous in every way. Come on, Zach. It's like only the, Monday. We're going there already? Oh, my God. Come on. Let, let's see what, what it is. Made of. Let's, see, what, let's it is. see what this team's about. Um, they need to get 53 back in the middle. They need to get home or at least harass Patrick Mahomes in the pocket on Sunday. I'm going to dig in this week. I'm going to rewatch that playoff game. And I'm going to show you what they did wrong. Because remember, the Colts defense played pretty well in the second half of that game. The game was already out of, you know, out, it was already out of whack. It was already out of reach. But um, I'm going to look into this because this needs to be fixed fast. Because this team, like we'll get into in a minute, I mean, everybody in this division is at 2-2. Two and two. This division remains absolutely winnable. They still have two games with Houston, who lost yesterday to Carolina. Um, and I still think the Colts can do it. We've got a long way to go. Remember, it's just September 30th. Um, but Matt Eberflus needs to get this defense fixed soon because they're making very fundamental mistakes and they're doing things you just can't do to play winning football in this league. And, and if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it shouldn't be the defense's fault. The defense didn't lose its best player two weeks before the season opener. Uh, there's no excuse for this. They need to get Leonard back for sure. Hooker's going to take a couple more weeks. Um, Rocky Sin needs to be better. Quincy Wilson needs to be better. A lot of guys need to be better. Um, but the concern for the defense is pretty high right now for me. I'll be completely honest. Yeah, they just, I'm not seeing any playmaking is the problem. I know their biggest playmaker is on the sideline. Well, really, their two biggest playmakers. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, they've spent a lot of draft capital on defense. That's the other thing. A here. lot. Yeah. And, Seven and, of the first eight picks last spring. Right. Yeah. And, and this is where. Chris Ballard, who we have given just an immense amount of credit, clearly, and I think it's been deserving. He's, you know, executive of the year and all that. But one of the things that is going to sort of determine Chris Ballard's uh, ultimate scorecard is how these defensive draft picks develop. So let's talk about that. Now, Taekwon Lewis didn't play yesterday, but let's talk about some of those guys who did. You know, Kamoko Ture is still playing sparingly. I'm not sure what's going on there. And I don't know if that's health related. But the fact is, when he was out there, we didn't we didn't really see any impact from him. Uh, Bobby Okereke right. is he's good at Struggling. the point of attack. He, he's he's good at the point of attack oftentimes, but 
you get him in coverage, and it's all over the place with him. It's just you can tell what these offenses are doing and their yeah. game plans when they sit down at week. They watch the tape and they say, "We're going at fifty-eight in the middle of the field." He's looked lost in a lot of different coverage situations, which is not totally abnormal for a rookie linebacker. I expect it. Um, and they're going at thirty-one. They're trying to get thirty-one in single coverage. Um, on the end, and they're going at Quincy, and they're winning. The, it's straight up, like you just said, it's one-on-one matchups. It's like watching T.Y. Hilton out there. He wins the one-on-one matchup most of the time. The receivers are winning those one-on-one matchups against Quincy. Quincy's not on a terrible spot, but he's just losing the matchup at the very end. Um, and when the ball arrives, the receiver's making a play, and it's killing the Colts. Quincy needs to be better. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, he's not even playing a ton of snaps right now. But and he's given up a lot of big plays. But that's the problem, right? And so the the thing I would say about these defensive, these young defensive guys, uh, a couple of them are making some moves, right? So yesterday, Grover Stewart played a ton of reps and actually took a bunch of Marcus Hunt's reps. The problem there is it's not so much that Grover Stewart has made this humongous jump, although I think he has improved. The problem is Marcus Hunt's not giving them anything. So this right. is where you need a young guy like Grover Stewart at nose tackle to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to take my game to the next level. We thought we saw some of that. He had a really good training camp. I was impressed. I thought, all right, he's quietly been having a really good year. His best year as a pro. Yeah. He he had a great mentality in training camp, but I think, you know, you want to, you need to be seeing more of that impact though on Sundays right now. And I think in the running games, there are some times when he's, He's the biggest body they have. He cannot be getting pushed off the ball. He should be playing stronger at the point of attack. So he's he's one of those young Ballard guys to watch. Okiriki, I mentioned. Taekwon, when he comes back, he's kind of been his impact has kind of been hit and miss. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Um, I mean, Kari Willis, I think, is going to be a player. I'm seeing good stuff from him. Uh, but I think, as I said, just generally, uh, it's not been a consistent. There, there have not been consistent contributions, I guess, from all of those um, all those young guys that they drafted uh, to come in here and to play pivotal roles. I mean, they had, I think at one point yesterday, five rookies on the field on defense at yeah. the same time. EJ yeah. Speed is one as well. He played a little bit yesterday. He's actually, he took, uh, he took Matthew Adams' snaps at strong yep. side linebacker. So that was, I don't know if Adams was benched. I mean, it looked like it. But the point is, they got to get some production out of these guys. They are really, really young people. Really young. And you know what's going to change everything? I mean, it's very simple, but you get after the quarterback, man. Everyone looks better. Everybody plays better. The defense does better things. You, you, you start creating turnovers. When you get to the quarterback, you hit the quarterback, you force them into bad throws and bad decisions. And they just haven't been doing that. They're giving guys like Derek Carr, and Matt Ryan all day to throw. They're not winning their one-on-one matchups on the edge, the edge rushers. You know, the way Kamoko Ture harassed Phillip Rivers in week one, we just haven't seen that since. Um, and they're not giving themselves a chance. And, and that's what they need to get those turnovers like Malik Hooker had in week one. Um, they need that in the worst way coming up on Sunday. You know, and to, to piggyback on that, when you do harass the quarterback, it's not about sacks. It's about pressure. And every coach will tell you that. And, and I think we obviously – harp on sacks but but it isn't just about sacks it's about pressure they're not getting either so let's be clear about that but when you do get some pressure and you you force the quarterback to get rid of the ball then you get some of those situations you had for example in los angeles where now philip rivers has to fit the ball into a window where he thinks he can but malik hooker's back there and he says "Uh uh-uh and he takes the interception makes a one-handed catch of course everybody can do that right sure but my point is at least it's a more 
the degree of difficulty is 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 difficult. It's more difficult, I should say. It's harder. It's higher. And when you're not getting that, what's happening is you're putting more pressure on these young guys. They, as I've established, they are very young. You got to give them as much help as possible. When you hang them out there to dry, they are going to give up some plays. And I'm not even necessarily ripping them for it. I just think that's what happens when you play young guys in yeah. this league. So yeah. they either have to live a with lot it. Of young guys, right? Yeah, they either have to live with it and help these guys out as much as they can with the play calling, or. I don't know. It's not like they have a bunch of veterans they can play. They're young. I mean, so I wish I had some better news for you, but this is who the Colts are on defense. They're really young, and their better talents are the young guys, but they're inexperienced, and they're going to screw it up. And right now, they're screwing it up. So let's flip over to offense. Uh, One guy we got to hit on, and I think everyone knows who this is, and we saw it play out yesterday. Is his name Eric Ebron? It's number 85, Eric Ebron. So... Give me your thoughts. I have thoughts. I think our thoughts are similar, but give me your thoughts. Three drops, was it? Um, yeah, three drops. Three um, drops, uh, blatant drops, a touchdown that he should never speak of again. <laughs> okay. In and his just, defense, what's your thoughts? He handed the ball to the refs, yes. Marvin Harrison style, and jogged back to the locker room or jogged back to the side. There's and I no was, celebration. I there. was getting ready to cringe had he celebrated that touchdown. He knew the time and place, time yeah. and place. Um, this is Detroit. This is what killed him in Detroit and it killed him on Sunday. And I think it's a mental game. We talked about this. You and I did yesterday in the press box. We saw him throw his helmet at the sideline. Not quite temper tantrum, but pretty dang close. Um, he needs his guys to get him back in the game. He needs a mental pick me up. This is what we always wondered about Ebron because he came here and everything went so amazingly well last year that you wondered how he was going to handle it when it didn't go well. Whether he didn't get his balls or whether he started making mistakes, the same mistakes that cost him his career in Detroit. Um, I'll be honest, he does deserve credit. He stood up there and he answered every question yesterday. He took complete blame for everything, for not getting the offense going, for not bringing the juice, and for his mistakes. And it's not just the drop footballs. It's the momentum that goes with that and all the yards they left on the table. He's got to step up. There's no excuse for this. With T.Y. out, he's one of their best, most dynamic players on offense. He didn't do that. And it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it in Kansas City. Because this is not the last time he's going to drop a football in 2019. Um, but this was the, this was a low point for, for Eric Ebron in Indianapolis. And um, you wonder if this stays in his head because this has been an issue with him before. Yeah, and I think that is something I'm starting to sort of understand in terms of how it all broke down for him in Detroit. I think it was in large part psychological for him. And I'm not here to be anybody's shrink, but what I mean is Eric Ebron is a talented player. There's no question about that. But he does have this propensity to drop the ball. I got news for you. He dropped the ball a hell of a lot last year. He led the he led the Colts in drops last year. Okay. So let's It's okay if you have 14 touchdowns. (laughs) Right. Let's not pretend this didn't happen last year. It happened. Okay. It definitely happened. But when you have three drops on four targets and no catches and a loss to the Raiders, it's not okay. Right. And so to your point about going to the sideline, slamming your helmet, look, that's not a criminal offense. It's an emotional game. I'm fine with it. But here's the thing. You have to you have to harness that passion. You have to be able to control those emotions and you gotta channel it. And you cannot let this now become, you know, let this sort of trickle become an avalanche and, and snowball on you. You have to be able to control that and get yourself under control going forward. And this is where 
from afar at least, it looks like he had issues in Detroit because it became an issue week after week after week. You got fans who are down on him. He's responding in poor fashion. He's not handling it well with the media, all of those things. And so right now at least, and this is only one game, but right now to your point about him handling uh, the criticism well and and owning up to it, I, I was happy to see that because if he if he handles this the wrong way, the reaction is going to be fierce, and the reaction is mm-hmm. not going to be one that he's going to enjoy. And if that happens, then it starts to unravel. But I think he's got a couple things going for him. He's got a good locker room, and I don't think they're going to. I don't think guys would would take kindly to him sort of allowing that to happen. So he's in a right. good place, and he's got the right coach. I don't think Frank Reich is a guy who's going to let a let a player. Uh, sort of go down that path if he can do something about it. So yeah, so that's I mean, a look good at what thing. he did with Vin- Adam Vinatieri yeah. a couple weeks ago. I mean, he had his back for for right or wrong. He had his back, and Adam's kicked a lot better lately. I'm not going to blame him for the 57 yarder yesterday. I'm fine. This is a direct quote from Eric Ebron in the locker room yesterday, asked if his playing time in the second half, which almost was non-existent, should have been limited because of the way he played in the first half. He had three first half drops, and a couple of them were at really critical moments. He said it should have been. He's talking about his playing time. It should have been limited. I didn't do anything. I didn't contribute. I didn't help my teammates. I was shitty today, and it sucked. It sucked to watch. It sucked to be a part of. I wasn't reliable. That's as honest as a quote as you're going to get from a guy who plays a terrible game of football. Uh, I think the key right here is what you just said. I think it's Frank Reich. I think Frank Reich believes in 85. I think he's going to go right back to him early in Kansas City to get this fixed um, because you can't let this linger because it snowballed in Detroit. And by the end, it cost him, you know, they let him go. They let him walk. He was a 10th overall pick. I mean, they'd invested a lot in this guy. And it cannot happen here. And I think Frank Reich will make sure of that. Um, but Eric Ebron, man, he, he just left so much on the table yesterday. It just absolutely killed the Colts offense. They can't have T.Y. Hilton standing on the sidelines and 85 dropping balls. They just cannot. They're not going to win many games when both of those guys are not contributing. They're just too good of offensive threats. Yeah, so now let's talk about a larger point related to Eric Ebron. This is a contract year, and look, I'm not making a, a decision on a guy's future in week four. I mean, look, that's kind of ridiculous. But that being said, the Colts do have a big decision to make on him. Now, tight end, <clears throat> excuse me, tight end is not necessarily the most highly paid position in the NFL. I think we were looking at this the other day, Zach, and I think it was Travis Kelsey, I believe, is the highest paid guy. And he's like yeah. under $10 million a year. He's like $9.3 million average per year. So it's, look, can the Colts afford to resign Eric Ebron? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Jack Doyle, for that matter. They're both in contract years. However, here's the question. It's not can they, it's should they. And I don't think they know that answer yet. But, but I'm going to be very interested to see how this plays out. Uh, I, they're watching Eric Ebron, and and I think yeah. right now there's a case to be made against re-signing him. I mean, I can make a case either way, but he he's if he's going to do what he did yesterday, he's building the case against it. And I, here's the thing: here's the, the one big thing to remember is that Jack Doyle has established himself as the more valuable player because who's the guy that doesn't come off the field? It's Jack Doyle. Okay. Yep. Who's the guy that makes the critical blocks in the run game? Yep. And and look, Eric Ebron wants to be here. He's made that very clear. I've talked this about this with him at camp. He has made it very, very clear that this is the place that resurrected his career. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. He doesn't play with any other coach. Um, but like you said, when you have days like this, Sunday against the Raiders, when you have three drops in a game you cannot afford to have drops in, that builds the case against them bringing you back. They've got a long way to go, and he can absolutely redeem himself. 
but you can't let this happen again. And that's what he tweeted out earlier, earlier, either late next or earlier this morning. He said, this will never happen again. Well, now you got to live it because um, it, that's, it's just inexcusable for a guy to do that. Well, I hope he's right because they're going to need him. At the end of the day, I go back to what happened. Those early drops, and there were others as well. And there was also Paris Campbell's fumble. Yeah, Chester Rogers had a drop. And yeah. Yeah. Zach, and De- you know, Deion Kane had a drop. Deion Kane had a drop, and Paris Campbell had a fumble. Yeah. So now, okay, we talked about, we've talked a lot about depth, right? And the receiver depth is being tested right now. Let's not forget Devin Funches is not out there. That would have been a different yeah, game with Devin hurt. Funches. That hurt yesterday. Yeah, they're, they're not just missing their one receiver. They're missing their top two receivers. And this team's pretty good. I, I like the receiving court. If Deion Kane's your third and Paris Campbell's your fourth and Chester Rogers is your sixth, that's Zach the Rod- key. And Zach Pascal. Yeah, I mean, it's when you shift all those guys up, when, when Zach Pascal is your number one threat on offense, that's just, you know, that's a huge blow. And you need T.Y. Hilton to get a lot of attention from the defense to open those guys up. And you need Eric Ebron to catch the football. So I think there, this is a, a receiving unit that's trying to find itself right now. So you have, you have some, you know, some young veterans out there, Pascal and Rogers. We know what they're capable of. Rogers bounced back from the drop, got the touchdown later. Good route there. Made, makes the diving catch. You know, he did his job. I, I'm not, he's good. I'm not he's really good guy. down he's on easy to Rogers. Like, yeah, yeah. He, no, almost, yeah, he almost muffed a punt, which would have been disastrous. But yeah, that, and they that need being a better said. field position on that one. But yeah, <laughs> they really needed but the no, good return he's there. A, he's, a, he's a fifth receiver, and and when he's stepped up, it's just you know you made the Raiders defense look really good yesterday. Right. So I, I heard some sentiments from fans on social media about, well, you know, you guys said this team was deep, and now look when these guys are playing, look what happens. Well, here's the thing about depth. Okay, as you just said, no one ever promised you that Chester Rogers as a number one receiver was going to be a star. <laughs> and no one ever promised right. you that Deion Kane right. you know, playing the kind of role that he's playing now was going to be a star. These were supposed to hey, be complimentary be pieces. When you're signing a receiver off the street every other day. I mean, yeah. they're in better shape than last year. I'm not saying they're in great shape, but they're in better shape. Right. So I have always been one to repeat this refrain, and I'll say it again. When you, when you take backup players and thrust them into prominent roles – this oftentimes happens, okay? Look, Paris Campbell is a guy, for example, for all the excitement about Paris Campbell, and I bought it, okay? And I think it's I think it's legitimate. I just don't think he's there yet. But for all the excitement about Paris Campbell, I don't know if they can trust him right now. I mean, he hasn't really – they're not really putting as much on his plate as I thought they might. I mean, he did, have, six, he did have eight targets yesterday, but they're mostly quick throws, screens. He had the one deep shot that, you know, he was double covered, not anybody's fault. But – I think that was the first game where they really asked a decent amount of Paris Campbell. And then when he goes and he fumbles, he's certainly not doing any more to engender trust from the coaching staff there. So he has, he's got more to prove. And guys like Deion Kane with a drop, he's got more to prove. Okay. I mean, this, uh, Deion Kane, by the way, five targets yesterday, no catches. I mean, yeah, that's it's, not it's good. almost like he's invisible out there. Not I mean, good. he had the drop. Is he not getting separation down the field? Is he not getting calls? Is, is Frank like is Frank Reich not going his way? I expected a little bit more from Deion Kane, especially considering the really solid camp that he had, and he's really put the ACL behind him to his credit. But um, there's no this team does not have the flexibility to have their number two receiver just not catch balls right now. They just don't have. They need anyone they can find to catch passes. And yesterday, the only guy doing it were, were Chester Rogers and Zach Pascal, and that's not good enough. They need more. They need more from Campbell. They need more from Kane. And so now, 
on a related note, the guy who is mostly impacted by all of this is the quarterback, okay? Because there were times he's putting the ball on the money, on the numbers, catches not being made. Now, right. Jacoby has his own issues that we'll get to here, but the bottom line here is, I mean, I think when you when you factor in the lack of a running game, you factor in just this abysmal performance by the wide receivers. Jacoby Brissett's flaws yesterday, I think, are way down the list in terms of reasons they lost this game. <laughs> I just look, he, he needs to be better and he will be better. Yeah. But I would agree with that. But he's not the reason they lost this game. The other guys gotta do their part. What can what did you get out of Jacoby's performance? What did you take away from it? And what do you think that what what just how did you assess, I guess, the way he played yesterday? He wasn't sharp. He wasn't great. Um, I think he missed T.Y. Hilton. I know it's. I know I'm not breaking any news with that statement, but I, I went back to that one video clip the Colts had in, in Tennessee, and uh, Tennessee was a rough day for them. It stretches in the middle of the game, especially for Jacoby. And he said, "Look, T.Y., it's you and me. It's you and me." And that doesn't mean he's not looking at other guys, but that's his guy. In the same way it was for Andrew on third and ten, who do you go for? You go to T.Y. for eleven. He didn't have that yesterday, and I think that showed. And he went to Jack Doyle, and Doyle was very steady. As always, um, but there wasn't really a lot else he could do, um, and 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 this is Jacoby's biggest mistake he's made twice this year. He's locked in on a receiver on an out route on the sideline, and he's locked in on him way too long, and both times he got picked off. And this one was take to the house, and that essentially ended the game. Those are rookie quarterback like mistakes that you cannot continue to make. Uh, he called it a dumb mistake on his part. You cannot make those mistakes. And I know they were pressing because they didn't have the run game going and they were playing from behind all day. Um, I'm not ready to throw this game on Jacoby Brissett. I don't think he was that bad. I agree with Frank Reich. He played pretty well, uh, but the offense was just never in sync. It was just never moving. They never had their foot on the gas pedal. And I think a lot of that was they couldn't get Marlon Mack sprung. They couldn't put any pressure on the defense with the run game. And they missed their most dynamic player. And there's just no way to replace T.Y. Hilton's skill set in this offense. That's just the that's just the cold, hard truth. Yeah, excuse me. There are times when quarterbacks, a fact of, the, a fact of life is quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. And you as a team have to be in a position where, where you can survive that. And you can not create a situation where a quarterback can't afford to make one. And and that's what they had yesterday. They had a situation right. where the quarterback could not afford to make a mistake. Jacoby did make one. Uh, so the game-winning or the game-tying drive, potential game-winning, game-tying game drive, who knows if they're going to win it. But <laughs> certainly the potential game-tying drive uh, was aborted because of that. And look, I think that one thing with Jacoby that I saw yesterday was I think there were some I don't think it was a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. I think there were some opportunities where he could have been great but was only good. And yeah. and or maybe could have been good and was only sort of average. And so what I mean yeah. by that is there were some opportunities or some throws where it was going to take a really good throw to make it work. Good tight coverage, uh, it's going to take a, a really accurate and well-placed throw to make it a completion are you, are you and he didn't to, make are you trying plays. to say an, an andrew luck type throw are, are we trying to get there wasn't no yeah I mean, but that's they perhaps. don't have andrew luck this season <laughs> they don't have andrew luck they can't they're not going to do that i think andrew luck probably wins the game yesterday because that's what he did a lot but the fact is they don't have it jacoby Brissett has played winning football throughout this four game stretch to start the season i think he'll continue to play winning football um they just can't make the litany of errors that they made they can't get beat up front they can't turn the ball over. 
and they can't just come out completely asleep like they did yesterday. And I think um, when you don't have a star quarterback to cover up all those holes, which is what Andrew did a lot in his career, you're going to get beat by the Raiders. That's just the that's just the that's the fact of the matter. So that's what they they did yesterday. And and if you're the Colts fan, hopefully this was the medicine they needed, right? I mean, this was some humble pie. If you overlook a team and if you don't come ready to play and if you don't do the things that have made you successful, i.e. run the ball and protect the ball and stop the run, then you're going to get beat. And that's just where they're at. They, they don't have a quarterback that can save the day like they used to. Yeah, I mean, look, they this basically was a calamity. Okay, <laughs> that's what this game was. The, dude, the tape is bad. Wait till you watch it. This is a calamity. Bad. So... I think, it, as I said in the beginning, it's kind of one of those games. Uh, it's not forgivable, and believe me, they're not going to get a pass. I would not enjoy being in the film session tomorrow when they get back to work. Ooh, at especially in defense. I mean, it's it's going to be ugly. There's going to be some nasty grades handed out tomorrow. But that being said, look, when it all devolves all in the same day, this is what happens. So the the hope and what you have to expect is that that doesn't happen again, that it all falls apart on one day. Look, it's one thing for the quarterback to have a bad day. It's another thing for the quarterback. Uh, well, let's exempt the quarterback because he's not even the reason. But it's, it's one thing for the receivers to have a bad day. It's one thing to have uh, the run defense have a bad day, to give up some some plays on the back end, uh, to the offensive line having a bad day. It's, it's one thing for individually one of those units to have a bad day. It is a total, totally different situation when it all happens on the very same day. So mm-hmm. that's what this was. And I don't think there's and anything surprising here. It reminded me a lot of the Jets game last year. They just they just weren't there. Nothing worked. There was no scheme they could pull out that would save them. They didn't come to play. They made a million mistakes. They tried to come back late. They deserved to lose. And they learned from it. We'll see if they do that moving ahead. Um, and, and, and the good thing about the 2018 season, that was the only time they really had an awful game. Um, we'll see if that's the case in 2019 because you can't do that many things that poorly and expect to win. I don't care who you're playing. And they let the Raiders come into their house yesterday, beat them up up front, and win the game. We'll see how they respond in Kansas City because a lot of people are going to be watching. All right, before we wrap this up, I think there's something else we should touch on. And it's, it's Frank Reich. He had a lot of scenarios yesterday where he made some interesting decisions. And I, I want to touch on a couple of them. Number one, they tried that 57-yard field goal. I don't remember the down and distance when they did that. But uh, I thought it was four down territory. A 57-yarder under the best of circumstances, is really not a high percentage kick. Uh, certainly Correct. not a high percentage kick. When your kicker has been struggling mightily, uh, what were Correct. your thoughts on that? And then I want to I want to hit on the onside kick decision, the decision not to attempt an onside kick I'm as not well. Kicking, what are your thoughts I'm on the field goal? I'm not kicking it there. Didn't like the field goal. I believe that's Adam Vinatieri's career long, and I think he made that in Chicago in like 2002. Right. Um, he's been struggling. So, Everybody knows that. I know he's made 60 yarders in practice, but don't give me the practice argument because we've seen him kick well in practice. We've seen him kick well in warmups and then go out and have really rough days in LA and Tennessee, right? So I'm thinking that's four down territory there. He went for it on his own 18 late in the game. They were down two scores. I can understand that one. It's 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 uber aggressive. That's what it is. Um, I'm okay with that one. Um, but I just, I didn't have a lot of hope when that field goal left Adam Vinatieri's foot, simply because it's just it's just too long. I just didn't think that one was going in. 
Yeah, and look, they had at the time uh, 37 seconds left now looking at the play-by-play here. 37 seconds left. It's a fourth and nine, so it's long. It's long as hell. But uh, it's either way, it's not a good scenario. I believe they might have had a, a timeout or two. I can't recall. But the point is they've got 39 seconds left. It's a 57-yard field goal. They're at the Oakland 39. So you're within distance of taking shots at the end zone at that point. Uh, I, I'd probably take my chances. I mean, at that point, they're already down, too. I mean, I think it was 21-7 or 21-10, I think. So Yeah, it was 21-10 at half. Yeah, so, I mean, you they, know, they you're, had two you're down two scores. In the second quarter, they just, yeah, they ended with zero points. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. I mean, they, they were starting to put together, it looked like they might put together a drive. They didn't move it that far, but, you know, they, they certainly uh, they certainly did move the ball a little bit. And I just thought maybe, you know what, hey, Give this offense a chance to really get on track here, and I don't know. I didn't love the field goal attempt. I mean, it's not a, it's not a fireable offense. It's not that big a deal. It's just something no. to quibble with. As far as the, the the fourth down at the eighteen yard line, well, I mean, Frank's crazy, so that's what he does. Yeah, right? so we'll just mark that down as crazy. <laughs> exactly. Now, the one last thing, the the decision at the very end after the Colts score on the Ebron touchdown, they don't kick the onside kick. They go ahead and kick it over the re, over the returner's head, and the ball ends up going into the end zone. I think they were probably trying to pooch it over his head. It, it ended up. I don't hate going that the decision because you you can't stack one side on the onside kick, and, and like Frank pointed out yesterday, there's such a low percentage of converting onside kicks. I I don't hate it. There was a minute and change left. You hope your defense gets a three and out, but then again, with this defense, you never know. Um, but the bottom line is they don't des- they don't deserve they don't deserve that game they sh- they should take an L. Yeah, I look at it like this. Uh, look, the onside kick situation it's the the odds are very very limited or very very low. I think it's like three percent or something like that. Three percent of onside kicks uh, get uh, converted, but by the kicking team. But here's the thing: your odds of winning the game. We're low regardless. So <laughs> I think you've right. you, you got to take as many shots at it as you can. And so in my opinion, I probably try the onside kick because it's something. It's a Is it a dire last straights effort? Yes. But that was a dire last straights situation. Now, Frank's sort of uh, rationale was, look, we had three timeouts. We had enough time that if we get a stop and we use our timeouts, we're getting the ball back with about a minute left. And he's right about that. He's not wrong. However... That requires you to trust your defense. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> so not, not yesterday. Yeah. Not so, yesterday. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're talking about water under the bridge at this point. So I'll just leave it at that. But I, I do think it's a debate that's worthy ha- worthy to have. And uh, everybody, when you lose like this, everybody gets scrutinized, and that includes uh, the top down. So every nobody's clean on a day like today when you lose uh, a game like the Colts lost yesterday. So. Hey, but that being said, look, if they if this is the worst they play all year and and they certainly can't get a lot worse, then uh maybe they're going to be okay. I mean, look at a one touchdown loss to the Raiders. It was probably not that close, but uh, but certainly this was about as bad as they could possibly play. So, yeah. So I'll leave you with that. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I'm really anxious to see how they respond to Kansas City because it's going to be the toughest test they face all year probably. The Chiefs are going to be – it's going to be a wild environment. The Chiefs are undefeated. Mahomes is playing probably even better than he did last year, although I didn't watch him play yesterday. Um, but this is – you know, this is what you find out. This is where you start to find out what this team's made of. They've handled the first half of the season pretty well, yesterday being an exception. 
but you go to Kansas City and get rolled, and there's going to be a lot of questions about where this team's going. Yeah, I think the key here is compete and build some confidence and let the chips fall where they may. I don't expect them to win, but go there, build some confidence. Some guys who didn't make plays yesterday, they need to go out there and, and make some plays. Go into the bye with some confidence, holding their head up, and then you come out of the bye and you got a stretch where you can you can get your act together. So it's up to them. Yes. It's up to them. So we'll see. Uh, we'll be here all week. They've got plenty more to to go we'll hear from frank right later today back in the locker room tomorrow so we got lots to talk about and we'll be back for the subscriber only podcast later in the week so if you're not a subscriber you know what to do this is your opportunity uh go to theathletic.com check out our indiana coverage you get all the coverage in all of our 50 plus markets uh uk premier league soccer what have you so uh definitely one of the best deals on the internet as far as i'm concerned of course i'm a little biased But thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. This is 1% Better. We'll be back later this week with the next episode.